I wonder what uh, pictures come to your mind when you hear the word call girl. Melanie Griffith and Working Girl, uh, Julia Roberts and Pretty Woman, Rebecca De Mornay and Risky Business, for those of you who are my age, uh, Glamour, Beauty. What, what comes to your mind? Typically, what does not come to our mind is abuse, pain, emotional, physical, relational manipulation and abuse that would lead someone to the absolute lowest place in the world so they're willing, so they're willing to give their bodies away. We don't see that, do we? That's not what's portrayed for us in the movies. And there's a reason for that. It's a very sinister reason for that. And that reason is from Satan himself, who does not want you to see the reality of the world at all. He wants you to see the glamorous side. He wants you to see the, the beautiful side. He wants you to see uh, all the things that, that allure you and none of the things that would repulse you or turn your stomach or make you sick or weep. Uh, last week, the last three weeks, we've been studying uh, our enemies in the scriptures, right? The, the Satan himself, uh, and then last week, power and 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 how Satan has been defeated, but his defeat doesn't make him uh, surrender in any way. Instead, it makes him furious, and he's come out to fight with the church and to just bring down as much destruction as possible. He's got no positive goal. He's not trying to accomplish anything. He's not trying to build anything. He just wants to inflict pain and, and spiritual and physical destruction in any way possible. And, and this week, we're going to look at his final weapon, the world. We're going to see um, the, the world displayed for us in the book of Revelation over three chapters. We're only going to read one section, but I really encourage you to read all of it when you get home this afternoon, 17, 18, and 19. Uh, John just depicts the world for us as, as a filthy prostitute with a cup full of abominations riding the, the beast of destruction itself. And he shows us that the way we defeat the world is not by turning your head away from it where you can't see it. The way we defeat the world and the flesh is by shining light on it, by looking at it, and specifically by seeing it in contrast to Jesus and the white, beautiful garments of righteousness. Please stand as we read this text from Revelation chapter 17, the first eight verses, and then kind of as a summary, I'm going to go back to one of John's earlier letters and read uh, a few verses from John 1, 1 John 2. Please read with me. Then one of the seven angels who had the seven bowls came and said to me, Come, I will show you the judgment of the great prostitute who is seated on many waters with whom the kings of the earth have committed sexual immorality, and with the wine of whose sexual immorality the dwellers of earth have become drunk. And he carried me away in the spirit into a wilderness, and I saw a woman sitting on a scarlet beast that was full of blasphemous names, and it had seven heads and ten horns. The woman was arrayed in purple and scarlet and adorned with gold and jewels and pearls, 
holding in her hand a golden cup full of abominations and the impurities of her sexual immorality. And on her forehead was written a name of mystery. Babylon the Great, mother of prostitutes and of earth's abominations. And I saw the woman drunk with the blood of the saints, the blood of the martyrs of Jesus. And when I saw her, I marveled greatly. But the angel said to me, why do you marvel? I'll tell you the mystery of the woman and of the beast with seven heads and the ten horns that carry her. The beast that you saw was and is not and is about to rise from the bottomless pit and go to destruction. And the dwellers on earth whose names have not been written in the book of life from the foundation of the world will marvel to see the beast because it was and is not and is to come. And now from 1 John chapter 2. Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh and the desires of the eyes and the pride and possessions is not from the Father, but it's from the world. And the world is passing away along with this desires. But whoever does the will of God abides forever. Thus far the reading of God's word. All men are like grass and all of our glory is like the flowers of the field. The grass withers and the flowers fall, but not God's word. God's word stands forever. You may be seated. We conquer the world by shining light on it and by coming out of it to the Lamb. Uh, first thing I just want you to see, we're going to talk about the world. What is it? What is this, um, this thing that we're in, in struggling with? And it's all around us, right? He describes it as, as a harlot that is filled with abominations, that is tempting all mankind with her immorality and the, and the pleasures of the flesh. He, he's describing it as a great city that uh, was and is not and is to come back. Isn't that interesting? Uh, certainly in his mind he's thinking Rome. Babylon was long gone by then. He wouldn't be thinking of the city Babylon. He was thinking of Rome and the seven hills around Rome and and specifically Rome from a physical, fleshly point of view. He was thinking of all the, the things that Rome offers, the wealth. Uh, it's interesting, if you, as you read along, when, Rome, when uh, Babylon is destroyed, all the saints rejoice. And all the wealthy of the world mourn. No longer will we be able to trade our flour and our pearls. No longer will we be able to make money from her. It's, it's, the, it's the world. And what does it mean that it was and it is and it is not and it is come, coming back? It means that it's, it's in every generation. I mean, we would not look at Rome that way today, right? But it's always a different city. It's a different place in each era. Uh, Rome, Paris, London. Las Vegas, New York, Hollywood, any place that tries to trap you with, with beauty and riches and lies to you about, about what it really holds within it. And, and we go after it. What does it mean to be drunk uh, from the cup of the world? It means to pursue pleasure, to pursue happiness to pursue wealth, to pursue power, to pursue notoriety, to pursue fame, or 
to pursue something that, else that makes you feel good. Something else that's worldly. To pursue perfect family. Makes you look good. To pursue righteousness that makes you feel better than others. Uh, to pursue that, that perfect body. To pursue a career. That's all the stuff the world offers. It doesn't care how. That's all the stuff Satan tempts us with. It doesn't care how. Back in the 90s, there was a movie. I'm going to try to give you as few hints as possible because I really don't want you to watch it. But uh, it was about a lawyer. And in the first scene, the lawyer is, uh, he is representing uh, just an awful scoundrel who is wanted for child molestation. And the lawyer goes off into the bathroom and stares into the mirror. And he's, he's troubled in conscience. Can he, can he defend this guy? He knows he's guilty. Can he defend this guy? And he decides, yeah, yeah, I can. And he goes back into the courtroom and, and has the man declared innocent, uses all the tools of manipulation at his hand at his disposal and and this lawyer has been watched by this law firm in New York and they whisk him away to New York and they tempt him with all the lusts of the flesh and he he just completely sacrifices his marriage and his wife and and destroys his family and and really has nothing left at the end he has all the the gold and all the money and all the power and all the prestige but his soul has been withered away and destroyed and his his wife has left him and he's lost his child he has nothing and then all of a sudden it snaps back to that bathroom and he's still looking in the mirror and he says i can't do that so he goes out and very publicly and very dramatically says, Mr. Uh, Mr. Justice, I cannot defend this man. He's guilty. And everybody celebrates him. And CNN wants an interview with him. And, politi- and, and politicians come up to him and ask him to run for district attorney of the state. And right there behind him, you see Satan again, smiling. And he just looks in the camera and says, I've got you either way. I don't care what way you seek worldliness. I don't care how you seek worldliness. I mean, when I was in college, I was much better than those people who drank and slept around. And I didn't do those things because I wanted to be better than them. Not out of love for Jesus. I just liked feeling better than the people around me, don't you? That's great. I mean, I'm telling you, anybody who tells you that self-righteousness doesn't feel good is a liar. It's awesome to know that you're better than all those people zipping around you on the interstate. It's great. I recommend it. It won't get you to heaven, but I recommend it. And Satan is is all around us, and he's constantly, constantly sending the message of the world into our heads. He's constantly, and and he's he's deceiving us. He's doing anything he can to to keep us from looking at it. It's really interesting. If you, if you look at, at uh, Revelation 13 through 20, you see the two big enemies of, of humanity, Satan's two big monsters, uh, the, the monster of power, specifically of government power, and the monster of the world, of the harlot. And one of the things he does, if you're paying attention, is he keeps people confused as to which one they're in. You know, you know what I mean, right? 
I mean, right now, our culture is 100% divided, more divided than it's ever been. And both sides are throwing stones at each other, saying government's the problem. Your government wants to... uh, I'm sorry. Your your government wants to exploit immigrants. Your government wants to to inflame racism. Your government wants to overreach, and you want to tell us what to do, and you want to have all this power, and we're fighting each other over it, and none of us are even paying attention to the fact that we live in the belly of the harlot. That's where we are. And we're all constantly hearing that message. You can't watch television or any movie without having this held up to you, right? This dream, this dream of having more money or nicer cars or a better wife or a better family. You can't open any magazine. It can be Golf Digest. And the first 20 pages are, you know, watches, cars, uh, irons and putters, all of which promise to, to take you out of your lowly estate and deliver you into the heaven of a better golf game and into the heaven of a better ride and people looking at you with honor and prestige. You, get, you hear that message every hour of the day that you're awake and I get 30 minutes a week to tell you it's not true. It's not true. It's constantly 100% of the time shouting its message that you're incomplete without this decadence or luxury. And again, it doesn't matter what you want. If what you want is to be single and to pursue the lust of the flesh, that's awesome. But if you're a parent, then it's, it's constantly telling you you're incomplete if you haven't taken your kids to Disney this year. They, they know how to manipulate you. And they're winning. But it's always a lie. It's always a lie. Why does he refer to the world as a harlot? What's the trick the harlot plays? She makes you think she cares about you when all she wants is your money. Shine the light on it. See the truth of it. She does not care about you. None of that stuff cares about you. I'll never forget several years ago in an interview with the uh, philosopher of the day, uh, Lady Gaga, and she was asked why she had pursued a career, and she said, because a career never looks at you at the end of 30 years and says, I don't love you anymore, (laughs) which was hilarious, because she said that in 2009 when about 20% of the entire country was getting fired from their jobs. None of no nothing cares. Nothing could care less about you than your career. It's not human. It's not capable of caring. It never loved you. The world just wants what you have to give it. How do we fight it by coming out and worshiping? The, the voice is heard in, in chapter 19. The voice is heard. Come out of her. Come out of her. Come, come to reality. Come into the light and worship the, the Son. Constantly is, is reaching out to our, our pleasure, our desires. The, the, historic, uh, the historic summary of, our, of the Christian enemies is what? 
Well, we fight against the world, the flesh, and the devil. The flesh is, is the pleasure. The world is the stuff, right? The things of the world, the status of the world, the pleasures, which they're kind of hard to divide, honestly, but, you know, the lust of the flesh, the desires, drink, beauty, food, sex, you know, the stuff that, that you know isn't going to satisfy, but you do it anyway, but that's not really us because you'd be hung over if that were you, and you wouldn't be here. There's other kinds of desires of the flesh, though, that, that are us, right? The, the arrogance, the pride, the unforgiveness. And it's easy for us to look at alcohol or sexual immorality and say, man, that's going to ruin you. Do you understand what unforgiveness will do to you? Now, I'm not going to lie. I do lie, but not when I'm standing up here typically. Um, unforgiveness feels good. It really does. Um, division, anger, wrath, all those seven de uh, deadly sins, pride. It feels good to carry a grudge against someone and know that you're better than them. But is it worth the destruction it is bringing in your own heart and in your family? Is it worth the destruction that it's bringing to your relationships and what it's doing to you? See, that's why, that's why John says, shine the light on these things. When the angel comes to judge the world in, in chapter 19, the first thing he does is he lightens up the world so that you can see everything clearly. The glory of his light, the light of his glory brings, brings light to everything so you can see it. Um, and, and Satan is really good at taking good advice and turning it into wicked advice. What do I mean? Well, so uh, Jesus says, to look at a woman uh, to commit adultery with her, that's sin. You've committed adultery in your own heart. And so what we do, and it makes sense, what we do is we, we, we don't even imagine it. We refuse to let ourselves think about it. Whatever your sin or tempted is, your major temptation is, I want you to try really hard right now to not think about it. Don't think about it. Don't, don't think about, I don't know, is it, is it a job? Is it a car? Is it revenge? Don't think about that. Is that working for you? No. The surest way to turn a temptation into an obsession is to try not to think about it. Nothing worked less. And what God says is, think about it. But don't just stop at the sin Think about all of it. Uh, if you're, you know, kind of typical human and you think about, you know, you married the wrong person and all you need is just one night in the arms of someone else. Now, in instead of just not thinking about that, think about all of it. Is, I mean, it's probably going to feel good that night. How's it going to feel the next morning? How's it going to feel when your spouse finds out? How's it going to feel when your kids don't want to see you anymore? How's it going to feel when you wake up on Christmas morning all alone? How's it going to feel when you 
lose all your friends? Do you think, do you think about those things? Shine the light on it. Look at it. If you refuse to forgive your spouse or your sister, what's that doing to your family? It's giving you a, a great, smug feeling, and I love that feeling. But what's it doing to everybody around you? What's it doing to your church? You shine the light on it. That's, that's how we fight these things. We shine the light of, of, of the gospel on it. We bring confession and grace to it. We, we shine the light of salvation on it. We, we look at, if you, if you want to see the true, absolute, unveiled nature of sin, if you want to see it in the light, there's an old TV show called uh, 30 Rock, and there's this actor in it, and she's, uh, she's just obsessed with her beauty and how she looks. And uh, to get her back in one of the episodes, uh, her nemesis turns the lights up to what it looks like in the milk aisle of the grocery store. And she walks into the light, and it's like she turns instantly into a monster. <laughs> if you want to see the, the true, monstrous, honest-to-goodness nature of the world, look at Jesus. The holiest man who's ever lived. Right? Never one second did he put his own needs in front of someone else's. Never one second did he, did he think about himself when someone needed him. Not one time. Perfect love. And the world killed him. Because we don't want people like that. Religious people killed him. Because he took away their self-righteousness and he made them feel bad. That's the truth of, of, of what the world offers us and pleasure offers us. The world comes to take what we have to give, but he came to give himself for us. When every cell of his, of his body recoiled and did not want to go to the cross he said yes and he went for us so great is his love for us and he invites us to come and receive his light and he invites us to, to walk each other into the light how do we live in that light the only way to live in it is through confession and honesty and it's hard and rather than ask you if you're the kind of person who can confess your sin, I want to ask you, are you the kind of person that someone can confess to? Can someone bring their broken heart to you and hear anything other than condemnation? In the last two weeks, I've heard two, or last month, I've heard two stories of, of confession. Uh, both of them about someone who had just years and years and pounds and pounds of guilt about pornography just on their back. One person confessed to his father, another confessed to his wife. His father responded to the confession by yelling, by shaming. If you'd only had your quiet times, you wouldn't have been tempted to do that. Why did you even let yourself be exposed to that? And it crushed the young man. And it damaged his soul. The other confessed to his wife, terrified, but he just couldn't carry it any longer. He confesses to his wife and she cries. 
And she says, I'm so sorry. How can I help you? Of course I forgive you. And he, he lives the rest of his life liberated, knowing that his wife is on his team. Not that she's not someone he has to hide from, but he's someone that can, is there to, she is someone who's there to help him. That, see, see how it's different? If you live with the, for the joy of self-righteousness and pride, you can't confess your own sins, and you certainly can't hear the confession of anyone else. But once you receive the grace of God that is only for sinners, then you can confess, and you can live in the joy of freedom, and you're the kind of person people can confess to. We have two choices, right? We can be... We can raise perfect children or we can raise children who come and tell us when they make mistakes. Good luck with the first one. I'm, I, hope you have, I hope you get closer than I did. But the second one we can do if we'll tell them when we make mistakes. Do you want to be the kind of person who can be confessed to? Please pray with me. Father in heaven, we are surrounded with a world that shouts lies in our ears and dangles in front of us pictures of perfection that we can never reach. Father, the one place that Satan cannot follow us is into the confessional. And I pray, Lord, we'd be honest. We'd be honest about the temptations. We'd be honest about the failures. And I pray, Lord, we would hear those confessions and apply the gospel to them and, the gra and grace to them. I pray in Jesus' precious name, who, can, who hears all of our confessions, who forgives all of our sins, who washes us whiter than snow. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.